0: Our scripture is Matthew five seventeen through twenty. Our subject: Christ and the Law. Matthew five
1: seventeen
2: through.
0: Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophet, and not come to destroy the fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jogger, or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these Least commandments and shall teach them so. Ye shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them the same shall be called the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. If there is one word therefore law and grace that we shall see if we begin our study this week of the New testament cannot be opposed one to another if there is no law there is no grace there is no grace there is no law it is precisely because one exists and the other exists the absolute law of God, His justice, which must be met by man. But man, having sinned, having fallen, is unable to keep the law of God. And therefore, God, right by His grace, reestablishes man in His covenant to enable him to keep that law. God's grace is the ground whereby man reinstituted in the covenant is reinstituted into obedience to the law. Whenever antinomianism sets in, the result is that the church soon loses its gospel and ends up in a social gospel. Today, in those areas of the church where The law has been forsaken, the church is drifting radically into a social gospel and another message. As we begin our studies, therefore, in the gospel, it is important to face, first of all, this central declaration of our Lord at the beginning of his ministry. A declaration repeated more than once thereafter. Our Lord said that He had not come to
1: destroy the law. At
0: that point, everyone is in agreement. The problem with this text in the modern mind comes when we proceed to read, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Again, in the next verse, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. The critical point here is the meaning of the word fulfilled, and unfortunately, at this point, our English meaning has shifted badly in recent years. We are come to think of the word fulfilled as meaning something that has come to an end. This is a violation of the text. In no way does the original, the Greek, convey the idea of coming to an end. On the contrary, it has a radically different meaning. This is why, when we go to the older commentators of several centuries ago, we encounter no such interpretation. Two words are here used that are both translated as fulfill. The Greek word, which in verse 17 is translated,
1: fulfill,
0: I am come not to destroy, but to fulfill, is related to our English word, maroma. Make full, or the fullness, the totality. In the Greek, the original word means literally to make full, to fill to the top, to diffuse, to cause to abound, to pervade, or to put into force. In other words, it means bringing to fullness and keeping in fullness. So what, our Lord? literally said was and come not to destroy but to put into force. Some translators such as James Montlux has so translated to all the important. The same word or Form of the same Greek word is used when we are told in Colossians 2:10 and Ephesians 3:19 that we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. This does not mean, you see, that the work of the Holy Spirit is ended. It is put into force in our lives. Again, we are told in Ephesians 4.10 that Christ fills the universe with his power and his activity. The word, therefore, means to fill to the full and to continuously be enforced. For as Christians, when we are filled with the Spirit and when Christ fills the universe with his power and his activity, it is not the end of the Holy Spirit or Christ's form. Thus, the meaning is clearly to put the law into force. As a continuous said, our Lord said, I have come not to destroy the law of the prophet. I have come not to destroy, but to put into force and to keep into force. Now in verse 18, the word that is translated as fulfilled is still a different Greek word which means to come to pass to become to happen to come into being the law of God our Lord says using two different words shall become the reality of the world's life to the end of the world the righteousness of God shall govern the world As a result, what our Lord declared was to require his coming, to put the law in force to remain in force, and it would be the reality until the end of time. Rather than ending Christ as the king or Messiah, declares the flesh that the law is God's righteousness. His purpose is to put it into force. First by reclaiming men from the power of sin and death through his atoning work. Then by making them new creatures in him. Writing the law on the tables of their hearts. He makes them able to obey his law. It is his law because he is Christ, the king. And there can be no kingship without law. Our forefathers saw this point clearly. And then the modern attitude toward the law would have been unthinkable. It was a uh, that only those who are anti Christian would maintain it. As we go back to the preaching of a few centuries ago, it is interesting to see how clearly they saw the matter. For example, in one of the great sermons preached before the House of Commons in Parliament at their public class on November 17, 1640, the Reverend Stephen Marshall one of the great preachers of the church of England of that day declared, and I quote, First, this is the scepter whereby Christ rules the dwelling of his word with the people. It is the greatest proof of their owning him for their prince, and that is, acknowledging them for his own subjects." If any country is seen the part of a prince's dominion that is not, is any country is seen a part of a prince's dominion that is not ruled by his law, neither can any land be accounted Christ's kingdom, for the preaching of the word, which is the rod of his power, is not established. And the Lord hath ever seen the hinderers of his word To be the men that would not have Christ rule over them. Secondly, if all the good laws in the world were made without this, they would come to nothing. Order what you can, leave this undone, you will never do the thing you aim at. Magistrates and ministers of justice will not execute them, and people will not obey them. The dark places of the land are ever full of the habitations of wickedness. But if Christ smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, the wolves shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and other than the child shall lead them. There shall nothing hurt nor destroy where Christ's secular reign. Pure laws Cannot be at in heart nor in strength. That is the privilege of the laws of Christ. Unquote. Thus it was that Marshall, in his great sermon, declared that only a people who were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and who then moved in obedience to the law of God dominion, to which peace, to which law and order, in which prosperity rule. Now the fact that Jesus Christ, the Messiah King, was coming to enforce his kingship and law were stated very bluntly by John the Baptist. Because he warned the people concerning the wrath to come. Now we don't understand the meaning of that expression. Because for us, wrath has become something that has been very much run down. A proud psychologists have emphasized to mothers how wrong it is to ever raise your voice to a child or be angry. And the idea that there can be a righteous indignation that is an indignation in terms of righteousness, in terms of law, has been forgotten. But in the Bible, when the prophets speak of the wrath of God, they are speaking of God's wrath against those who transgress His commandments. When John the Baptist, therefore, spoke of the last to come and the coming of the Messiah, what he meant was that Christ the King was coming. That they would either accept him as their Lord and King and bow down before him and accept his fall words, or they would be judged. The entire nation cut down. So he declared, and now also the axe is laid under the wood of the tree. Therefore, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. He went on to declare that the Messiah would thoroughly purge his And When the people of faith came and asked John, what shall we do then? John's answer was, obey the law manifest grace by charity towards those in need. As a result, the coming of Christ was inseparable from the coming of both the grace of God and the judgment of God in terms of his law. When we turn to the temptations of our Lord in the wilderness, we find that they are inseparable from law. Satan offered a declaration of independence from God and his law. He declared, "Who's in terms of man, man's needs, give unto these people bread, turn the stone into the bread. After all, there's economic block in the world. Give them a social government. And make faith unnecessary, enable them to walk by sight. Cast thyself down, and have the angels of God sustain thee, so that you can prove that faith is unnecessary. You've demonstrated. Supernatural powers, you've demonstrated that God's angels are going to come from heaven to sustain you, so faith will be unnecessary, sight will be sufficient bow down and worship me, recognize the righteousness of my position. That faith is unnecessary. Man should walk by sight, and God should serve man, not man God. And every one of our Lord's answers were from the fall. It is written, it is written, In the Sermon on the Mount, of course, our Lord identifies himself as the lawgiver. It is on the mount, so that the comparison to Christ, of Christ to Moses, is emphatic. Moreover, he made clear that he was greater than Moses, that he was God the King by declaring, not thus set the Lord. I say unto you. Moreover, he echoed Deuteronomy twenty eight. Now Deuteronomy twenty eight begins with a series of beatitudes or blessings, the words of the saints, and then a series of curses. And only God in Scripture can pronounce such blessings.
1: someone who prophetically is inspired of God.
0: And our Lord saying, I say unto you not thus that the Lord speaks to the sermon on the mountain and begins with blessed are the, the Lord Spirit. They feel their
1: spiritual peace.
0: Blessed are they that more.
1: They that hunger and
0: thirst after righteousness. They that are persecuted for a mindset. And then at the close of his ministry in Matthew twenty three, what do we have? A series of curses pronounced upon the Pharisees, the scribes, the leaders of the people. So that the Pharisees immediately saw who Jesus was. They knew with whom they had to deal. And as a result, from that point on, we have a series of conflicts between Christ and the leaders of the people, in which they come to Christ, as we shall see on subsequent weeks, to try to prove that he is not truly the spokesman of the law. And if he is not the spokesman of the law, neither is he the source of grace. They come to him to. Make fun of the law of the revelation. Master, a certain man died and left his wife childless, and his seven brothers each married her and left her childless. Now, the resurrection whose wife will she be? Who fun of the law of God? Frankly, the ridiculous. Master,
1: According to the law, the
0: tax is to be paid to God about here Caesar demanding tribute money. Is it lawful to pay tribute to Caesar? Isn't that a violation of the Mosaic law? Over and over again, in one instant after another, the woman taken in adultery. Are you going to go back to the old Mosaic law which says that he should be executed for adultery? We shall examine these incidents in the next few weeks. Over and over again. They come to shake him in his appearance of the law, in his declaration of the law, in his demand that the law be put into force. Shake him in that they could say, He is not the Messiah, nor is He the source of greatness. How can He pronounce beatitudes or blessings? How can He offer grace or damnation? But by pronouncing blessings, beatitudes, and by pronouncing curses, our Lord declared himself to be the shibboleth whereby men are tested and judged. And St. Peter identified Jesus Christ in Acts 4.12 as God's shibboleth. Neither is there any salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This is the name which men must pronounce from their heart through the grace of God unto salvation. For they are either saved by that name or cut down by that name. Concerning on the Mount, Christ is the lawgiver, develop the full implications of the law, personal as well as civil, the inner as well as the outer is not sufficient, he declared, to say, I have not killed, therefore I have kept the commandment. If we have anger or hatred without the law, against our brother, we have broken the commandment. If we have lusted after someone in our heart, then we have broken the commandment. We the again to deal with the various laws laws of concerning the limitation of, of law the law of charity the law of worship and he declares that the death of citizenship in the kingdom of God is obedience to these things of life and the man whose life is founded upon a rock or more accurately the rock and rock is Scripture is always a type of God, a symbol of God. The only time when it is not so used is when Moses says, Their rocks are not our rock." That is, their God is a false God. They are not like our God. So even there, the reference is to divinity. The man whose life is founded upon the rock, upon the atoning birth of Jesus Christ. Build thereon, So these,
1: strong with judgment, shall come. Each man. For his house is founded on the
0: rock. But the man whose house is built upon the land, upon himself, however, onwardly, the life that house. However, outwardly he may deem the immoral and the law abiding man, and the wrongs great shall the fall thereof, For man's word and man's law is man and cannot relate. The Sermon on the Mount concludes with the comment of the people, their amazement, for he taught us what one having. The word authority there means the power, the liberty to do as one pleases, the power of that which is right.
1: The earth clearly understood all this.
0: So they sinned with knowledge when they rejected. Therefore our Lord declared upon them would descend all the righteous blood shed upon the earth for their falseness. And the greatest tribulation of all history should come upon them, and their city and their country. Because all power having been given unto them in heaven and earth, that power brought the total curse to those who opposed him and his he Himself, by His saving work, is the beatitude of His covenant people. Our goodness. Thus it is, our Lord, in a sermon on Mount, as the Greater Moses, declared Himself to be the principle of blunting of salvation, and the principle of judgment. 28, I declare, He who is the source of blessing and the of gratitude of purpose, is in your midst, the king of salvation. may manifest to be
1: called by thy grace to be the people of the society.
0: Strengthen us therefore in faith and obedience. that We may build unto ourselves and under our country and under our families structures that will stand against the judgment. Thou dost bring against all forces. of the Enable us, our Father, to re-establish all things in terms of the kingdom of our Lord and his daily path. We might ever
1: rejoice
0: in his grace, prosper under his law, and be guided
1: by his word.
0: Bless us for his purpose. Jesus, Amen. Are there any questions now? First of all, let
1: Yes. The
0: point of view that motivates that is dispensationalism. It divides the Bible instead of observing the unity, and says this belongs to one period and that to another, and it ends up with really no Word of God. Because Just because he addressed the disciples at that point, that word was only for the disciples. Then we have to say the Old Testament was only for the Hebrews because it was addressed to them. The letters of prayer were only for the particular churches because it was addressed to them. And then you end up with nobody. Because there's nothing in the Bible in terms of that point of view that was ever said for us. Then you end up with your Bible, and you might as well be a humanist, because you say, God has no word for me. But any time God spoke to any man, his word was for man. So the referral of Scripture is spoken to us, or none of it. And that point of view is wrongly dividing the word.
1: No, uh, it was from heaven. But you see, there was no
0: longer a covenant people who kept the law. Israel had forsaken the law. There were covenant people who were dedicated to Reordering their lives and the world in terms of God's righteousness no longer existed. and therefore He came to establish what the covenant of God with a new Jew, out all people, all out of all peoples, to tribes and nations, by His opponents who are from the cross, constituted as a new Israel of God, hence the twelve. And sent into all the world to bring all nations, as you shall see in a few weeks, into the fold of Christ, to make disciples of all nations, first to bring them into the realm of grace, and then by His grace to enable them to establish God's law order. So you see, the covenant people having forsaken Him, they had to be judged. Hence, the destruction of Jerusalem. This is why in Hebrews 12, we have the uh, statement that this great shaking of the Old Testament shall culminate in the destruction of Jerusalem. And in a sense, it was then that the New Testament era, as it were, began. It began both with the resurrection of Jesus Christ... That the old ended with the destruction of Jerusalem, the end of the old covenant people, judgment upon them for the rejection. So you see, when Christ left the temple for the last time, to go to the cross to establish thereby the new people of God, he said, the old nation, the old temple, because I am the new temple, shall be destroyed. Not one stone will be left standing upon another. Yes.
1: Right. It's
0: exactly. It's the same covenant. That's why St. Paul says, that we are Abraham's children by faith, so that we are the true Israel of God, and the old Israel is cut off, and we are grafted in with one stock, one tree, one plant, one covenant. That the bad seeds and the bad branches are cut off and cast into the fire of judgment. And we are back in. Yes. Yes. We're going to come to that in a few weeks when we come to what Paul says in Romans and Galatians. But briefly, when we are dead to the law, we are dead to it as a death sentence, as an indictment, you see.
2: When we are criminals,
0: the law one is a death sentence. St. Paul does not say the law is dead, but we in Christ, when we die in Christ, are dead to the law, but we are also made alive. Christ whereby we are made alive to the law of the righteousness of God. So we die to the law of the death sentence. We live in it as the righteousness of God. I've used an illustration before and I'll use it again. If we are murderers fleeing from a death penalty, the law is death to us. But if we are pardoned Love into full citizenship. And our evil nature, our murderous nature, blotted out and a new heart given to us. The law is now our protection, is it not, against evildoers and murderers? It is a fence around us to protect us from evil. So our relationship to the law has changed from. Men who are legally dead under the law, who have the death sentence, who act against us. The men who find the law, the righteousness of God, a protection, a way of life. This is the difference. Now, he says, in effect, there are two standards of righteousness. That of the Pharisees is based on the traditions of men. And you're not going to ever get into heaven in terms of man's work, man's way of salvation. Therefore, you'll never enter into heaven. In terms of man's way of salvation and man's law. Only by Christ's salvation, my own work, and my law, God's law. In other words, our righteousness is first of all the righteousness of Christ imputed unto us and our sanctification, our growth therein. Will you state
1: that? Yes, we
0: are under... This does not mean someone who is unbaptized doesn't go to heaven, but it is a part of his law, as entrance into the kingdom. When we accept Christ, we then become citizens of the kingdom through baptism baptism has two aspects the outer rite, which is to signify the inward grace so when we have the inward grace when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior then we seek baptism to show that we are Christ's leader now with children it is a mark of their covenant membership that they have been born into the covenant of grace adults, it is an outward testimony to an inward grace. No. Now, with some of course, the impulse is humanistic. I was told the other day of someone who brought membership in a church which is uh, evangelical, and he professed his readiness to believe in the Ten Commandments and his desire to be a church member and to support it generally. But uh, beyond that, he couldn't have much faith in anything, and he said, I just believe that part of being a good person, a good citizen. Well, he was denied membership. However, he went to a nearby church, and he is their elder right now. Now, that man, you see, was seeking membership in the covenant on a humanistic basis. But we are to seek it in terms of the Holy Spirit. Christ having redeemed us, we come to Him now in response
1: to His call. Yes.
0: Yes, uh, this uh, comment was made by the Reverend Mr. Nelson, who is a very able scholar, incidentally. The uh, dispensationalists don't entirely do away with the law. They do away with it for us. They recognize that the law... Still has to be enforced sometime, but they postpone the enforcement of it to a millennial kingdom in the future. Now, this in itself adds to the schizophrenia of their position, because they are admitting thereby that the law is God's righteousness, it is His requirement, but somehow those of us who are caught between the periods of the Old Testament and the millennial kingdom, uh, are to be lawless people. In other words, God doesn't really have a program of righteousness and a law and order for law, which is a rather uh strange position. Yes.
1: yes. Uh, saying it's uh, my encouragement that price is not to about this which I will say that to I think you know I the music is not so I said that Christ came to me mm-hmm. the earth and this earth is the truth and how I said that I said I see Yes.
2: yes,
0: you find those ideas in the scope of not in the Bible. The source of them is in old Jewish papers, as Saint Paul put it. In other words, the uh, in the period between the Old and the New Testament, a great many messianic ideas developed, in which the Jews held that they were going to rule the world. They were going to have Christ the King come back and lead them in power against all the nations. That uh, there would be heaven on earth, uh, at least for the Jews, with everyone else being their slaves and so on. Now, in altered form, this is substantially the picture the dispensationalists have of the future. And it is a very, very erroneous one. It goes back to these old Jewish fables, Jewish ap- apocryphal writings. Any other questions?
1: We have just a minute or two left.
0: So if not, let's bow our heads for the benediction. And now go in peace, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost bless you and keep you, guide and
1: protect you this day and always.
2: Amen.